Podcast of the Cinema. Uh, you're Dave White. I'm Alonzo Duraldi. We are film critics, and this is our show. Yes, hello. Um, how are you today on this rainy Monday afternoon? How do you feel? Uh, you know. You feeling good? You feeling uh, upbeat, peppy? It's I'm okay. I'm I'm uh, reading. My name is Barbara, and really enjoying it. Yeah. About time you got to jump on that. Took you long enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Had to have a whole thing about it. (laughs) Dave gave it to me for Christmas, and then when I didn't immediately pick up on it, he like just dove in. Yes, I stole it. Yeah. I stole the book. Taking the words off the page with your eyeballs. I I see you. I moved it from one side of the dining room table. (laughs) To the other side of the dining room table. And that prevented Alonzo from ever picking it up and enjoying it himself. I just, I feel like there's a protocol where if you give someone a a book as a gift, you wait for the other person to finish it before you dig Um, in as the giver yourself. If the person doesn't live with you, sure. (laughs) If you're not married to that person, then you go... Oh hey, dude, can I uh, can I borrow the like can I can I read it too? Like I know I gave it to you for Christmas and everything, but can I read it too? And then your 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 dude friend says, "Yeah, dude, yeah, sure, you can read." I, my name is Barbara, <laughs> my bro, my bro. And then the other one goes, "Sick." <laughs> I'm talking like a thirty year old that we know currently. <laughs> Favorite response to everything is sick. Sick. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's all going very well. Oh, and a, a quick. Uh, this the is reading, like, the reading's going very well. Read, yes, I've, I've already passed me because I, I just read like a few paragraphs in the morning with my cup of tea. Oh well, see, it's it, it's written very conversationally. I she know. Is, I'm going to take my 2024 just kind of having I, a morning little a little morning visit with Barbara. I can see why. Yeah. I'm sure the book on tape is you know all 40 hours of it or whatever <laughs> on, is on tape. The audio book. The the book on cassette. (laughs) Or reel to reel. Yeah. The audio book. The final LP. Helen Gurley Brown at Town Hall. Yeah. I'm sure the audio book is tremendous as I keep hearing because it's very. I'm hearing her voice in my head as as she writes this. So Uh, apparently she improvises bits on the audio book as well. Oh, interesting. Okay. Adds little asides and stuff. Like she's reading the book. For you, but then she's like, you know what? I need to fix this other part right here. Like, <laughs> she's know. also annotating. Great. Yeah. <laughs> Good for her. Um, what's up with you? How's your Monday going? Well, I'm annoyed. Oh, are you? I'm annoyed. Who's bothering you now, Jeannie? Uh, the water heater. <laughs> well, yeah. <clears throat> our hot water went out yesterday. <laughs> I texted our landlord and I was like, hey... 
I'm in the middle of cooking Sunday dinner. The hot water is gone. She goes, I'm already on it. Apparently somebody had complained before yeah. me. She goes, I'm already on it. A couple hours later, she goes, okay, so... <laughs> There's a part that the heater needs the handyman that is employed on the on the by her has to go get the part but the store isn't the, the place that has the parts wasn't open until monday so he's getting the part today anyway it's like three o'clock in the afternoon and we still don't have any hot water and look we have decided something we get it it's not like we're in you know minnesota where they're like buried in snow right now but still i don't care <laughs> I just, uh, you know, I don't, we don't ever have to compare our troubles to other people's I, troubles. Look, it's this winter. is a trouble for it, me. You I know just, why? I'm going to tell you why. Okay. I made a really beautiful dinner last you night. You did. French onion mac and cheese. Mm -hmm. New York Times recipe. Delicious. Friends came over, ate it. Do you know? I, and I even rinsed everything. Like I rinsed all the cooking pots, all the ca all the baking dish. I rinsed everything to get the the smell of caramelized onions out of this home as much as possible. Guess what? Not enough. I don't think it's that bad. I oh, mean, you, can, you can't still smell dinner at 3 o'clock this uh, afternoon? I, you, look, I sure can. When I woke up this morning, it hit me in the face. But maybe I've just been in this apartment all day, so yeah, I, I you're, stopped you're, noticing. You're, you're, you're nose blind right now. Uh, um, So I need, I need the hot water to wash the dishes. I am not uh, Laura, Laura Ingalls, Ingalls Wilder. <laughs> I would not last one hour in the post-apocalypse or the 19th century <laughs> at, on the, at was Walnut Creek on the banks of... Wait. I never read those books. I have no idea. In the big woods? <laughs> I had to have a little house in the big woods. There'd be no... There'd be no... I, I would just drop dead. <laughs> I need modern conveniences. I'm a modern person. <laughs> I'm you know, very contemporary. People people give Loretta Swit a hard time for having Loretta seven... Swit, you say. I'm getting to a point okay. if you'll let yes. me finish it, please. Yes. <laughs> yes. Gave her a hard time for having 70s hair on a TV show that was set during the Korean War when uh, she was on MASH. Okay, you're getting real specific here. Keep going. Michael Landon on Little House on the Prairie. Oh, yeah. Had such most... a disco mane. <laughs> that was those luxurious curly locks on him. <laughs> Just unless unless Jose Ebert was in the, the little house next behaving. door. Yeah. Like I don't know what was going on there. He was that hair was <laughs> He was <laughs> That was Pa Ingalls at Studio 54 yeah. is what that hair yeah, was. Yeah, the women were wearing bonnets, but but yeah. Michael Landon was just nope. like, Oof. he was letting it fly. The dry look. <laughs> Um, the Academy Awards. Uh huh. The nominations are announced tomorrow. Tomorrow. Are you very excited? No. Why not? Because because there's this thing that we go through every year, <laughs> where like we're supposed to think that this matters in the long no. run, and no. it never does. Haven't you learned how to? Haven't you learned how to think about this yet? 
How? Tell me how. I'm going to tell you how. And this goes for everybody listening. Mm. Number one, they don't matter. Yeah, no, I Number know. two, they're so much fun. <laughs> Number three, they mean nothing in terms of... Uh, uh, History or quality. Critical, you know, uh, quality, uh, cinema <laughs> history. Like, the, the awards, longevity. Awards <laughs> history, yes. Um, number four, they are so fun. <laughs> and when something good wins, then sure. they mean something. Absolutely. And if something stupid wins... Then they really mean no. Nothing. It's always I'm I'm delighted on those rare moments. Have where I got my... number five yet? Number five is outfits, <laughs> hair, controversies, mm. scandals, more outfits, more hair. Point number six. I like to make a nice spaghetti carbonara mm. or a bolognese on Oscar Sunday. Because the the handful of friends who come over to watch, they need a belly full of carbs <laughs> to get through the evening. to enjoy the situation, and I think I think we do it properly. That part is always great. I'm always looking forward to that. That I, is my six point discussion about the Academy Awards here, and their value. Here they do have value for me. Here's what as I'm entertainment. Here's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah, I'm looking forward to having a. Uh, Conversation with Christy tomorrow on YouTube live yeah. for an hour, starting mm-hmm. at noon Pacific. Yeah, um, you know, trying to throw some sort of context into all of this. Yes, I look forward to uh, Louis Vertel's contributions. Yes, to uh, Kimmel's uh, uh, comedy writers' room. Uh, yes. backstage. Yes, and I look forward to your spaghetti carbonara. Yeah, <laughs> I just. I just like them. I I, I, I I was very much uh, in the 80s when I was a, a young person. Mm-hmm. I was very grumpy about it. And I became very grumpy about it the minute I realized that Blue Velvet was getting nothing. <laughs> and I thought, oh, wait. These are stupid. Because my expanding uh, understanding of film is not reflected in what's happening here at this, you know, uh, show. And and I thought, well, that means it's all just nonsense. Yeah. And I'm going to be grumpy about it. And I didn't watch them for a couple of years. And then I was like, yeah, I really miss watching the Academy Awards. <laughs> they sure are fun. And I started watching them again, and I've never looked back. And I, you know, I, I agree with you. They are... Uh, Essentially meaningless, but award shows are a blast. All of them? All of them. Mm. Yes. Here's the thing. I was... Even the ones that I don't care about. As a like little... The MTV, the, the music... Wait, wait. MTV Movie Awards. Yes. Those are especially dumb, but I'm still into it. As a young, budding gay, budding cinephile... Yes. I was obsessed with the Academy Awards as a kid. It was... Kids, gather around. Grandpa has a story. In the 1970s, before we had Entertainment Tonight and the E! Channel and everything else, yes. it was rare that they talked that much about movies on television. That's true. 
even You're like before right. even before Siskel and Ebert, you know. Yep. And so the Oscars was like an an entire evening of like movie stars on TV yep. and discussion of movies on TV yeah. or you know whatever. And uh, you know my my brother, you know, one of his many film books, he had Robert Osborne's like the first 50 years of Oscars, you know, yeah. we're, we're coming up on a hundred now, yeah. <laughs> but this, this one ended at like Annie Hall and star Wars. Yes. Um, and so, you know, I read that and I took this very seriously and I was like, Oh, clearly this means something. These are movies that matter. These are performances that are important. And then like in college was when I really would go into the Oscars having seen a lot of the movies yeah. and having seen a lot of the movies that weren't included on Oscar night yes. and thinking, hey. <laughs> I will even say this regarding their relative uh, cultural merits. Mm -hmm. Now that the world has shifted gears and... The hugely successful films are not the same kinds of films that get nominated for Academy Awards. Mm -hmm. The kind that get nominated for Academy Awards have become more and more likely smaller, uh, uh, art house leaning sure. style films. They resemble the Spirit Awards. <laughs> yes. What I do like and what I do appreciate now is the fact that a lot of these films tomorrow when they are nominated actors who get nominated there are going to be a lot of people who are hearing the titles of these films oh, yeah. for the first time and hearing the names of these actors for the first time sure. and getting angry about it <laughs> <laughs> well yes it's all that, it, that makes me laugh too it, it is fun for people when people get angry but yeah. i think there is also a contingent of moviegoer out there yes. that because of the Academy Awards will now troop out to see yes. American fiction yes. you know at their local multiplex if, when, it, if it is nominated for anything I imagine it probably it will be, will be yeah. Right? yeah for instance you know uh, I, I think there's there's a like they've probably already seen Barbie and Oppenheimer you know yes but uh, and they and and maybe they've seen Killers of the Flower Moon, or at least they're aware of it, you know. Yes. But there's going to be those movies like American Fiction, like May December, May December. Thank you. That yeah. that suddenly would be like, oh, okay, I guess I have to see this now, you know. Right. And maybe they'll like them, maybe they won't, but at least they'll give it a shot because it it comes with a recommendation that they have decided to take seriously. Yes, clearly. They're not listening to this podcast. No. We've we, already been we told recommending them May December a while. The ago. finest that cinema has to offer. That's right. In twenty twenty three. We're gonna do it again right now. Have First. we talked about American fiction yet, by the way? No, because I haven't seen it yet. Okay, well let's do that soon. Well, we will. Okay. Okay, so uh, I'll remind you again. <laughs> it's a conversation we've had three <laughs> times already. But let's do it on the microphone to make it official. There's a whole list of films yes. that came out while I was half asleep yes. and recovering from yes. hip replacement surgery. We have award screener DVDs sitting on the table over there and or uh, links. And I've slowly been catching up on them. Yes. Bit by bit. Film by film. One of them is even included in this 
podcast today. I, I was implying no judgment. I just was asking. And so, uh, so yeah, you haven't heard us talk about American fiction yet. You haven't heard us talk about the zone of interest yet. You haven't heard us talk about Maestro yet. You haven't heard us talk about a bunch of movies yet. We'll get there. I am dealing with what's happening right now yes. in theaters as best I can. As I make my way back out to actual yes. cinema houses. And, you know, one or two a week catching up on what I missed. Obviously, with these nominations coming out tomorrow. You know, I just I want to be part of the conversation <laughs> with Kendall Jenner and Pepsi. <laughs> and so I'll be seeing these films, you know. Great. Yeah. I've got my finger on the pulse. Don't oh, you worry. Always, yes. This we know about you. Keep it together. That's why they call you the EMT, because your finger's on the pulse. Yeah. Well, Mean Girls. Mean Girls is back. Yes. The girls are back. They're still mean. Still mean. Only this time. They, they're singing. They sing and dance uh, through the, the whole thing. Yeah. Although, if you ask the marketing guy at Paramount, it's a it's a comedy with music. A comedy with music. Uh, sure. What does that mean? Means we musical comedy didn't test well with our focus group. Well, that's dumb. Yeah. It's making money. Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. So this was uh, directed by co-directed. Yes. By Samantha Jane and Arturo Paris Jr. First-time feature filmmakers. Tina Fey wrote the screenplay. Now let's 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 fold it back as far as it goes. Based on the book of the musical written by Tina Fey, based on the screenplay written by Tina Fey, based on Queen Bees and Wannabes, a nonfiction uh, uh, anthropological study of teenage American girls that by Rosalind Wiseman. That inspired the movie. So it was a nonfiction book yes. that became the film Mean Girls, starring Lindsay Lohan. That became a Broadway musical. Yes. That became a movie musical. It's the color purple trajectory. Yes. All over again. Yes. Book, film, stage musical, movie musical. Uh, this one stars, uh, and Gowrie Rice. Yes. Just learned how to pronounce her name. Yes. News to me. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Ali Cravalo, Christopher Briney, Renee Rapp. Apparently, uh, and Jaquel Spivey. Yes. And, and, and Jaquel Spivey. Thank you. And Avantika Vandanapu, who is... Uh, She's billed simply as... Billed simply as Avantika. Avantika. Or Avantika, I'm not sure. We don't know. I've never met her. No. Okay. Uh, so, yes, this is a musical. All the way, start to finish. Yeah. Singing, 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 dancing, 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 dancing. Same plot. You know the plot. <laughs> You've seen Mean Girls. We assume you've seen Mean Girls. Yeah. Um, 
You've had 20 years. Teenage girl moves to the United States from Kenya because her mother is an academic who was state, you know, located in Kenya and now has a job in the U.S. She's been homeschooled the whole time. She, for the very first time, learns what it's like to be in an upscale American high school. Yeah. And I say upscale because everyone in this school seems to have a lot of money. <laughs> and I, I don't know that I thought about that much in the first film, but here the wealth is really much more on display. This is, for all intents and purposes, Shermer, Illinois. Okay. Because it's, it's, it, is, it is near Chicago, and it is clearly one of those sort of like affluent com- communities off the lake, you know. Um, like in Risky Business. Ooh, I just got a text from the landlord. Uh-huh. Hopefully in the next few hours. Oh, yeah. Our water will be back up and running. Hurrah. Then you and I can wash dishes for hours. <laughs> hours I, and hours. When I'm not podcasting, sure. You may have to postpone your podcast oh, really? yeah, with sorry. your other little friends. Sorry, y'all. Gotta wash dishes. And, yeah. <laughs> Mom says I gotta... All right, uh, go back. What were you saying? <laughs> what were you even talking about? I, I, you were talking about the wealth, and I yes. was saying that it was akin to the yeah. John Hughes movies or Risky Business, these mm-hmm. movies that were very much about like well-to-do high schoolers. Kids in... whose only problems were their interpersonal relationships. Exactly. And not uh, anything else that might intrude. Right. Okay, so here we go. She uh, gets involved with... Two sort of are they outsider kids or are they just uh, Greek chorus sort of like we observe these jerks and we hate them both okay I mean one of them has been you know uh, uh, ostracized by early on and yeah. stuck yeah yeah um and they they want her to you know infiltrate. The popular girls, yes, do some reconnaissance and report back yeah. on, you know, perhaps be an agent of chaos. How can we screw around with them and and make their lives miserable? Because they've been making our lives miserable this whole time, right? Okay, so they do. And uh, during the process, everybody sings and dances, and then the ending uh, comes, and everyone uh, learns to. Be nice. Yeah. <laughs> the end. That's Mean Girls. Uh, what do you think about this this version? Um, I, I can't say that I that the songs stuck to my ribs in any way. Like really? I, I enjoyed Revenge Party and Sexy. Like, <laughs> but that's about it. Like the rest of them, I could. The Sexy song is very funny. Yeah. 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 It's it's a goofy little number. Um, but it, it doesn't, I, it, that stuff doesn't land. And, and it also, I think there are certain stories that you can turn into musicals and they have the weight to support all of this. And Mean Girls is maybe, I don't know. It seemed like it was a little, it, it made it feel slight in retrospect, watching them craft this whole musical out of it. Uh, but I was entertained. You know, it's it's it didn't blow my mind, but I had a good time with it. I really liked uh, Auli E. Cravalho and uh, Joaquel Spivey. I think they really steal the show. And 
I agree with you on that. They 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 really do. They yeah. they provide just the right amount of Heather's like edge to the proceedings. Continue. And you know, I think that that every the whole cast has the thankless task of stepping in for a beloved, you know, yeah. oft-quoted cult movie. Yes. Um and yeah. I think yeah. that the two of them do the best to create their own version of these characters that does not, you know, necessarily call to mind the exemplary work of 2004 yeah. of, uh, of, uh, Lizzie Kaplan and the wonderful Daniel Francesi. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I keep being told that Renee Rapp is a big thing who plays the, the new Regina George. And she, I liked her. She's, she's good. She didn't blow me away in this. Are you giving, are you, are you giving short shrift to Renee Rapp? Well, okay. Look, there's a couple things here. First who is of all, to me, sort of like the standout person. In okay. This film. No, yeah. for a lot of people, she is. Okay. Great. I, I, Let's not have a fight now. I, <laughs> I don't know what your experience was. When I saw that, Christy and I had the same experience when we saw it. And we, this was like the Dolby house at the Grove. Presumably the sound mix was, you know, pretty good. I felt like a lot of her lyrics were kind of lost hmm. to me. Yeah, I don't it was know like, what your problem my is. My name is Regina George. Her shmring at the You know, and I, so... Maybe that was that got in the way of my fully appreciating the performance. Okay. Also, like, there's something about her that is so like. She has like noir heroine eyes. Uh huh. You know, whereas I thought that's a that's a selling point. Yeah, yeah. but but like Rachel McAdams is is so the sociopath next door in that role. You know, she is she she. You look at her and think, oh, what a what a what a sweet young okay. you know. Uh, yes. Uh, you're when you look at Renee Rapp, you think, oh, that's a villainess. Exactly. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah good. Yeah. That's great. Okay. That's fine by me. Uh, not only is she fantastic uh, in this film, but she gives great junket as well because <laughs> oh, she I've been watching that. went off on... Oh, you told me about this. This was crazy. <laughs> In the junket, there was some guy who ran a uh, a bus tour company that the, they had to go on this guy's bus, uh-huh. and she found him to be uh, obnoxious, repellent, and misogynist. <laughs> and so she called him out by name. Wow! In the <laughs> in the junket, and said, "If you're listening, I'm, your name is this, and I hate you. F you." And and the dude who plays the Jonathan Bennett character, yeah, was sitting next to her with his hands over his mouth, like, <laughs> "I can't believe I'm here right now, watching her misbehave." Um, okay, that I like. <laughs> if she's, if she's this like fiery loose cannon in real life, then I. I kind of have to lend that my support. I'm wondering how relatively low budget this might have been because it was actually produced originally for Paramount Plus. And then it was only later... I have that, a feeling that I, I know the answer. And then later they're like, oh, you know what? We can put this in theaters. I have a feeling I know the answer. Uh-huh. Um, it feels like cinem- c- cinematographically, if I'm quoting, uh, mm. you know, the great... Monsieur Brisson. 
Uh, it feels like it was meant to be looked at on television or a tablet uh-huh. or a phone because as much exuberant choreography that is going on with the, the dancers, the frame is pretty compact. Huh. Like, okay, so Wonka, right? Let's compare it to Wonka. Let's compare it to the color purple. Mm-hmm. The camera opens up. And there's a big stuff happening. Sure. Big stuff happening everywhere. Like the fills the screen, dancing in the streets, that kind of thing. Here, we're dancing between the lockers. In the down hallway. the hallway. We're dancing down the hallway. We're dancing in a in a house party, in a living room. We're right. dancing in a classroom. We're dancing in a cafeteria. Like at prom. <laughs> yeah. It is it felt like there were Definite borders on the action. Mm. And and I kept noticing that. I was like, everything is so sort of tightly packed into this frame. What's happening? And then I came home and you said, oh, it was meant to be put on Paramount Plus. And I thought, okay, it was meant to be on TV. Yeah. Even on these widescreen TVs we have, they weren't they weren't gonna <laughs> risk anything. Right. It felt like. Um it works though, in terms of the effect, because you're still feeling the force of of you know these kids, you know jumping, jumping off at you. I uh, not in a Matilda way, no. which is to me still sort yeah, of that like was the crazy the. <laughs> and that might have had to do with the fact that in Matilda the kids were all nine years old, sure, and full of whatever energy a nine year old has, <laughs> like able to actually climb up walls without any sort of visual effects at all. <laughs> Um, I, I felt bad for the actress playing Gretchen Wieners because she gets saddled with a particularly sad song early song. in the film. Yeah, and, and, and ill-timed. Like, it was sort of like, whoa, whoa, we're doing this, like, now you're going to yeah. get this deep. It, it didn't, it, and it, it's, it's one of the few moments of the, the pacing that felt, that kind of clanged for me. I didn't mind it happening early in the film because it gives the movie a bit more gravity than it, than it had before she starts singing this song about feeling lost and alone and you know my friends actually hate me and stuff like that um because what this movie needs is you know more of that it 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 waits until about midway point two-thirds of the way through uh before it gives you the idea that it is genuinely trying to communicate uh, that even the good guys behave badly. Right. Yeah, you I, will. You you have to confront in your life, not just as the characters in this film, but people who live and exist, have to confront themselves yeah. as vengeful, spiteful, uh, uh, willing to harm someone, even if even if they are on the side of righteousness. Uh, good people behaving badly. Well, I think, and I think the moment would not have clanged so much had it not felt so not of a piece with most of the rest of the movie. Yeah. So I'm not saying you can't go to those places, but you can't go to them once early and then drop it for a long time because mm. then it suddenly just stands out in a, in a not good way. I like the songs more than you did. Okay. I think they're, they, they're, they're varied. They don't all have the same uh, greatest showman sameness. To them, mm. I like them. Um, 
Avantika? <laughs> I, ma'am, <laughs> I don't know who you are, but you are from outer space. And I, a pre, and I don't mean she, the actor. I mean this character. Uh, there's, there's, there's Airhead. And then there's what she's doing. And then there's Georgia Engel. So there's like, <laughs> she's somewhere in between I th- that. But I was delighted by her, her constant wide-eyed, like, where am I? What's happening? Like, I, I adored I, I thought it was her. I thought it was too much. No. I thought she had been directed to too much. Because, no. like, like, Amanda Seyfried in the original one is giving you, like, a Did, gentle, a gentle ditz. A gentle ditz. Yeah. This was a, you know, and not to bring up the actual plot point of the bus, but this is the kind of character I just think, are you just going to wander in traffic? Like you seem <laughs> yes. so divorced yes. from your surroundings. Yes, she is. Are you on a morphine drip? She is as going we to wander into traffic. If, yeah, if you do not hold her back it, from it, that. It felt a li- like it was a little. It took it took it a little far <laughs> for me. Ah. <clears throat> uh, I, I, think, I, this, I, I liked, think this movie is delightful. I liked the occasional sort of meta references, like that that that, that this is a musical, that this is a movie, that this is being done right. again. Yes. Uh, you know, I, those I thought were were woven in very cleverly. Um, yeah, it's fine. I'm, I not a, ma- I'm not mad at this movie, but it, I, I will forget it by I like June. it more than I like it more than you. I okay, thought, I, I was delighted, okay. and I thought it was funny. Will you ever watch it again? I don't know. If it's on television, <laughs> perhaps on basic cable, as we still have basic cable. Because OG, OG Mean Girls is a film that I will, you know, find myself oh, yeah. diving back into sure. every couple of years. Sure. I would, we did I would watch this again if it passed in front of my eyes. Okay. Am I going to go back to a cinema to watch it again for a second time? No. I'm busy. But I I'll, I would look at it again on on a phone or tablet. <laughs> Fair enough. Or, or, <laughs> <laughs> or, or when it's on what 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 are the what are the what 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 basic cable channels still show movies? What what we have one of those, right? Don't we? Uh, no, I think we got rid of all of them. We get rid of all of them except TCM. Yeah. Okay. Well, fine. Uh, by the way, speaking of musicals, twenty years from now, when it's on TCM. <laughs> uh, speaking of musicals, I wanted to give a shout out to today. We learned of the passing of the great Norman Jewison. Yes. At age 97, um, says, you know, the kind of, I mean, first of all, I think one of the last of the connections to uh, an older Hollywood, this is a guy who was the executive producer of the Judy Garland show and directed the last of the Rock Hudson Doris Day movies um, before making In the Heat of the Night. Uh, But then, you know, musically speaking, he did Fiddler on the Roof and Jesus Christ Superstar back to back. Which he then followed with Rollerball. Yes. <laughs> and then he made Moonstruck. Like this this guy is like Howard Hawks level of, you know, eclectic and all over the place and and, and succeeding in all these different genres. Um, and also, and this is a thing that you will read in any kind of biography of him, whatever. Yeah. Um, despite his name. Yes. Despite the fact that he directed Fiddler on the Roof. Yes. Gentile. Oh yeah, I knew that. <laughs> and like, like Protestant Canadian. That um, was a thing that that I remember hearing about early on, and I was like, "Why are we talking about this?" And they were like, "Well, he made filler on the roof," and I was like, "Oh, okay." 
In fact, I, in, I read in, in the uh, uh, Roadshow book, like Topol, who starred in the film, made yeah. some joke about how, uh, how, how they had adopted him as an honorary Jew and that he was going to change his name to, to Norman Christensen. <laughs> ho, 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 ho. Uh, can I say one more thing about me, girls? Sure. There is a blink and you miss sight gag. And it involves the, the, the trick that they play on Regina George of putting lard in her face cream. Oh, right. It is a visual joke about La Mer, the very, 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 very expensive uh, uh, moisturizer. The visual gag will involve you needing to understand some specific words in French. I'm giving you a bit of basically a spoiler, but... Just but read the label go to Google. Go to, yeah, it's <laughs> it's amusing. Anyway, uh, speaking of Jesus Christ Superstar, mm-hmm. the Book of Clarence. Oh, yeah. You went to see this. Came home, you said, I need you to go see this movie. <laughs> yeah. So that you can help me <laughs> talk about it. Um. Although, you know what? I don't think you need to have grown up evangelical no. to, to have any kind of conversation about this film. But I just, I, I knew you would have uh, a, a firmer grasp on some of this material than I did. I think, I think the grasp that I would bring to it, if I bring any particular special you know, background to it, is the understanding of the way that official religious storytelling mm-hmm. can easily sound like Elmer Gantry, <laughs> you know, um, can easily sound like any sort of charlatanism. There is a wonderful book that came out about five, six years ago called American Messiahs, False Prophets of a Damned Nation. <laughs> that guy named Adam Morris. And it's about all the different cults and sects and, you know, uh, uh, tributaries of official religious, you know, uh, institution in the United States. Amy Semple McPherson? That has been part of the entire history of the United States. Sure. But it's more than just the history of the United States. It's the history of the world. Yeah. And this is a... So James Samuel who directed uh, The Harder They Fall. The Harder They Fall, which was uh, uh, a, a, a heavily stylized... A take on the Western. Western. Yeah. Uh, from a few years ago that we both think is very cool. Yes. This is now his version of an American vintage biblical epic. Yeah. Everything about it, the look of it, the framing of it, the, the titles, the, the titles, <laughs> the music, uh, some of the music, some of the music. Excuse me, some of the music uh, evokes films like The Greatest Story Ever Told, The Robe, The Ben Hur, Commandments, yeah, stuff like that. The Bible, The Bible, yeah. John Huston. It stars Lakeith Stanfield. As a guy named Clarence, who exists at the time of Jesus. Stanfield, in fact, also plays Clarence's twin brother, Thomas, who is one of the apostles. Yeah. 
we don't get to see Thomas do what Thomas is most famous for, however. So actual Jesus is going around doing actual miracles yes. in this film. And they are legit miracles. Yes. So we, we live in, the, in a world here in this film. This is a universe where Jesus really was there. And is black. And was, yeah, well, everyone in the film is, is black. Well, until we get... Until we get to... <laughs> we're not going to get... That's a spoiler um, in some ways, I think. Um, because a white Jesus comes along. Yes. And that's all we'll say. And that's all we'll say, yeah. Um, so, Lakeith Stanfield plays a guy named Clarence and his own twin brother, Thomas. Yes, uh, Clarence is sort of struggling in life he he feels like he feels like he's a loser he feels like he's not accomplishing anything um he operates outside the law and everybody around him uh uh is treating him the same way uh they treat tyrese in baby boy (laughs) they're like you better get your life together (laughs) and he's like (laughs) you know um so he hears about jesus and he's like oh i could do that well first he tries to become an apostle (laughs) yeah and he realizes he goes i could i could get on this grift i could do this i could i could hustle people and and pretend like i'm a different kind of messiah a competing messiah yeah he, he he stages a bunch of fake miracles that yeah. wow the crowds. And, he get, and, and and guess what? Money starts pouring in. Yeah. So uh, along the way, his world becomes entangled with Jesus's world. And the more the more attention he gets, the more notice the Romans take of him. Yeah. I'm not going to spoil the final third of the film because it becomes a crescendo of intertwined narratives, some of which you know, some of which are written specifically for this film. Yeah. This this movie is like Life of Brian, not in its tone or sensibility. Although it is quite funny. Yes. It is is often very funny. Intentionally comic in many ways. Respect. But it is this idea of it's almost the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead of the of of, of the, the, the Christ story. Yes. And that you have these characters that are that are operating at the margins and observing things at a distance and sort of kind of getting looped into, you know, the the, the same uh, narrative, but not entirely, you know, there's a reason why they aren't in the gospels, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. Um so this also stars uh, Omar Sy, French actor, mm-hmm. uh, Anna Diop, R.J. Seiler, David Oyelowo, Michael Ward, Alfred Woodard, uh, uh, the great Tiana Taylor. I cannot <laughs> praise Tiana Taylor enough, just in general. But like, um, it is quite possible she's the- Mary Magdalene in this film, and. I think she had just stepped off the set of A Thousand and One because she is bringing this gravitas to what she's doing in this film that at times she's not in it a lot, but when she shows up, you're like, oh, serious things are going to happen now. Um, 
It is unlikely that the Academy is going to no- give her nomination tomorrow for oh, 1001. In a perfect world. But in a perfect world, Tiana Taylor one of those would, slots should have been would be nominated tomorrow for 1001, a yeah. film that you really should see. Yeah. Uh, Caleb McLaughlin, Marianne Jean-Baptiste, James McAvoy, Benedict Cumberbatch. Uh, anyway, this is... A wild movie. Yeah, this is, you know, like with uh, The Harder They Fall, like I got what he was going after. And even when it went into certain directions that seemed big and over the top, it all seemed to tie together the, 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 the notion of like, this is how I'm going to tell a Western. Yeah. This movie <laughs> goes uh, like there, it, it, I, I I'll tell no. I admire the reach and I admire the moxie. It's of, a pin, it's a pinball machine yeah. of, of a film because it is bouncing off of all it, the different walls. Because it yeah. goes from comedy to like no, really, this is a Bible movie <laughs> to like big Elmer Bernstein type score yeah. to oh, and now a funk break with a dance number. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and it's like wah. So. Who knows? Maybe like three years from now, I'll watch this again and be like, ah, I see what you were going for now. I just wasn't ready for it. And so even though like I can't I can't completely say this movie worked for me. I again, I just admire all the things that it wants to do and is throwing out there for you to take or not take. It's cinematic heritage. It's not simply the old 50s Bible epics, but also, like I said, Jesus Christ Superstar, mm. Velvet Goldmine, and Tommy about like the idea of worshiping a person that you've seen from a distance and you attach right. a lot of things to that person just because of your own personal need. It is uh, the Good Times episode about Black Jesus. Do you remember <laughs> that? No. Oh, well. If you can, go back and watch the old episode of Good Times, which is about a portrait of black Jesus that comes into the house. And the kids are into it, but Florida is against it because she has grown up with the portrait of white Jesus, and that's her Jesus. Okay? So, uh, it's a film about the cultural aspects of religion that become, over time, sort of theological and canonical, uh, and how... Those those things get passed down from generation to generation. Um, it's a movie that is metaphorically about police oppression. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's about the ways that cinema has sold Jesus to audience. Uh, and like I said, this is a movie in which an actual Jesus is actually making miracles. When and then when more miracles happen, but they're impossible to explain, <laughs> it becomes a film about faith. From sort of like the Gnostic Gospels tradition, which <laughs> right. is sort of like, you know, if you bring forth what is inside of you, then what is inside of you is what will, will be your salvation. And that's a weird message to, mm-hmm. to lay on, you know, contemporary Christianity because they've never liked that. Yeah. The, 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 the people in the United States, I'm speaking specifically of the United States, who are evangelicals, they don't want to hear about that, that, you know, you are enough right. kind of stuff. Um, uh, there, there's a deus ex machina in this movie. Yeah. It's about <laughs> cynicism. It's about sincerity. It's about hip-hop and charlatanism and self-determination. I really dig this film. Um, because 
we complain and we complain and we complain. Rightly so. Yes. About, about formula. About formulaic filmmaking and the timidity of studios in releasing movies that have too many ideas right. or any ideas <laughs> at all. And so here we've got one that's yeah. got a lot of them all at once. And it's and it's making you hang on while while it's all spinning around you. Um I don't I envy, find that exciting. I don't envy the marketing department <laughs> who had to figure out well, how to like sell this movie because it's Well, that's why it opened in January, and that's why they didn't give it any sort of push. And they're relying on people to go find it themselves. Yeah. I mean, yeah. because like it's it it's not the kind of movie that you can just throw at the faith-based audience and sell church, you know, group ticket oh, no, sales. No, no, no. To. Conservative Christians are going to hate this. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But then I think also like the people who were fans of The Harder They Fall and the people who were in this cast are gonna think, wait, this is a Jesus movie? Uh, I don't know. It's about a Jesus movie. It is That's not, a very good description. It is not a Jesus movie. Yeah. Okay. Again, but I'm just saying, when you're marketing But also it, it is kind of a Jesus movie. Yeah. See, when, you, when, you're, when you're selling it, you don't have the time to split this many hairs and explain it. So yeah, but see it. See it because th it is so rare that this kind of film gets don't made. Don't buy a ticket to a, 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 a cinema. Yeah. Sit in a chair in a cinema and see this film. You may find it unwieldy, but you will have never seen yeah. anything quite like it. Yeah. Uh, next up is The Settlers. Yo. <laughs> it's directed by Felipe Galvez Abedle, who is a Chilean filmmaker. I love how you are a uh, Spanish as a first language person and you're still trying to figure out this guy's last name. Well, you know, <laughs> he is Latin American. Maybe it comes from another uh, root than Spanish. I don't yeah. know. It's not one. Uh, it's not a name I've ever encountered before. Um, this is a film set in the late 1800s in uh, the Chile-Argentine border. The Chile-Argentine border. Um, it involves real life characters. Uh, a landowner named Jose Menendez, who was uh, a real guy, and he has hired a British Scottish military man uh, named McLennan, who was also a real guy, played by the actor Mark Stanley. And McLennan is tasked with clearing the land. That's a quote. It's also a euphemism. It's also a euphemism. It's not explained, but you can guess what is meant by this. Why? So that all of Menendez's sheep can have uh, unfettered grazing from from where they are to the all the way to the Atlantic, all Ocean. the way to the Atlantic Ocean. And he takes two people with him: uh, a Texas mercenary played by an actor named Benjamin Westfall, and an indigenous man named Segundo, played by Camilo Arancibia but who is also an expert marksman. He's also, he's half indigenous, half white. Oh, okay. And then they go kill a lot of people. Yeah. A lot of people. 
they are meant to simply slaughter as much of the indigenous population as possible for the sake of business and for the sake of the ruling class to control uh, territory. the territory. Now, if you think that means this is an incredibly violent film, it's sort of violent. It's, but there's not, there's not like nonstop slaughter going on. Much of it takes place off screen, but it takes place off screen in a way where you know what's happening and the movie is allowing you to paint your own pictures of that. The film primarily focuses on these three men and their, their bitter experiences the bitter experiences that have informed where they are now, the bitter experiences that they are creating and experiencing together, and in the final act, what will happen to all of them. Equally bitter. Yeah. I use the word bitter because that's the first word that came to my mind as we left the theater. I was like, dang. (laughs) And it, it creeps up on you. It's not relentlessly heavy. It is, I think, in fact, a beautiful looking movie. Oh, well, um, sure, yeah. And, and more quiet than not. Yeah, uh, it's, it's interesting. I've seen it compared to Killers of the Flower Moon, which yes. thematically it has a great deal in common. It absolutely does. The ending has a great deal in common in terms also of the perspective of the the real life tragedy of it all but it's it is less explicitly violent than scorsese's take is but i think no less horrifying i think that when you think about the the crime the the slow burn crime Mm -hmm. in killers of the flower moon Compared to this, there's a subtlety to that. True. To the the Flower Moon. Uh, This is directly, we're just going to kill everybody. Right. Aim well, we're going to kill everyone. Um, There's no no trickery involved. Right. In terms of, we're going to lure them into this doing something here. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, but at the same time, I think in the Scorsese movie, there's a lot of, in the in the narration, they talk about certain people's deaths that you see yes. happen and happen yes. and happen. Yes. And in this one, a lot more things are happening off screen. So in, in a very real way, much like Killers of the Flower Moon, it is about complicity. Uh, but unlike Killers of the Flower Moon, it is also about uh, indigenous populations who wind up mixed up with the their oppressors, yeah. with the colonizers, and the inability to keep oneself pure, no matter where you are in relation to the wickedness. Um, I think narratively, this film refuses to be uh, sort of black and white. Mm. The camera watches and almost refuses to lean heavily into the idea that, well, this person is bad and being bad. Right. What it's really doing is saying, well, everyone here is 
really, really the products of a system. Per, they're products of systems, and they're participating in an, an incredibly horrific system. Yeah, um, the worst of the crimes are captured, uh, as we said, in a very sort of clinical, direct way, and we're meant to understand that every person here is irrevocably part of that historical moment. There is not, among the characters, there's not a, 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 a contemporary understanding of events. Like, you as an audience member don't have a way in with any of these characters. Right. It's not like there's one person here saying, this is wrong and I'm going to try to fix it. That's not happening. No. Uh, only in the camera do you see the perspective, t- the tone, and the perspective. Yeah. You don't see it with the characters. And incidentally, if you watched uh, the recently concluded uh, season five of Fargo, yes, uh, Sam Spruill, yes. Uh, who played uh, Ula Munk on this season, uh, pops up in a terrifying uh, uh-huh. small role. That is, it's only a couple scenes, but woo, it uh, it stays with you. Yeah. Um. So. This is currently playing in Art House. It's a Chilean-Argentine film. It is in Spanish and English. Yes. Uh, there's a good chunk of it in English, actually. Yeah. Um, it mm-hmm. is absolutely worth seeing. And uh, it is It being... is not entertaining. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, no, that's accurate. But it is uh, an experience uh, that I think is valuable yeah. <laughs> to, to, to have. I know that's a bad way to sell a movie. <laughs> Because people want to go to movies that that are gonna, you know, be entertaining, leave them feeling at least somewhat entertained. Uh, this will push itself onto you. You will admire if, it, if not necessarily entertain you. Yeah. I think it's really good. No, I, I agree. Yeah. It's it's being released by Mubi, so it's probably not going to get a gigantic theatrical release. But if you are a Mubi subscriber, it will be making its way to you pretty soon. And on a lighter note, three cheers to me. Uh, I went to see it at the Lemley Royal. Yes, your first time back. And I was able to get into and out of their... Plunging. Low-slung seats. <laughs> without any assistance from any other human being. Bravo. I did it. Three cheers for me. Yay, I'm you. a champion. Do we have time to talk about Fallen Leaves, or do we need to uh, move we it can, along? I think we'll probably get that next time. Speaking of movie, it is now uh, launching on movie, um, uh, and is, I believe is still a, a possible Oscar nominee this week. Fallen we'll Leaves is currently in theaters, but also uh, currently streaming on movie. Yes. M-U-B-I. Yes. Uh, which I think you can subscribe to through Amazon. Amazon? I believe so, yeah. Um, it's from Aki Karazmaki. Mm-hmm. It is wonderful. Yes. So before we talk about it, you should watch it because <laughs> it is short. Yes. And, it, well, if you know Aki Karazmaki's films, you know exactly what kind of filmmaker he is. I love him and I love this movie. And we'll be talking about it next time because we've run out of time. Uh, as Alonzo has to do another podcast as soon as we're done with this one. Uh, we have we have time for a couple letters, though. We do have time for a couple letters, and I will make that happen right now by pulling them up from my uh, While you're doing that, account. I will remind folks that uh, we have a Patreon. 
Oh yeah, tell uh, tell them what's I, the, the, tell them what you just did. Yes, tell them the new thing you did. I will to make Patreon even more beautiful and attractive and enticing and beguiling. So over at Patreon, we offer a lot more extra shows. Would you like me to talk about those shows real fast? Linoleum Knife presents more Linoleum Knife, where we talk about an old movie in depth. LKTV, where we talk about uh, television programs that we are currently watching, and sometimes old, old TV that we've pulled out from the recesses of the internet. Uh, Then there's Linoleum Knife and Fork, which is a food podcast hosted by two film critics, which means we don't know what we're talking about. And then there is uh, Linoleum Nights, where we talk about, uh, well, anything. This past week, our entire episode was about the cultural history of anti-masturbation movements. Which go back to the Babylonians. (laughs) Yes, all the way back. Uh, And so, you know, you never know what you're going to get. On Patreon, we have club meetings where we watch films once a month with uh, with everybody. Oh, by the way, it's this Saturday night. Yes. The 28th? Uh, 27th. 27th. 6 p.m. Pacific time. We are, as a family, going to watch Cats <laughs> and talk about it on Discord while we're watching it. So you want to get in on that. Yeah. Um, but now... If you are already a Patreon member or yes. about to become a Patreon member, Just tell them this. Patreon.com now has this thing called collections where they make it very easy for you to find groupings of different things. Yep. And I've gone through and created collections so you can see all of our LKTVs going all the way back to when we started posting them on Patreon. All the linoleum knife and forks going back to the beginning. All the linoleum knights going back to the beginning. All the linoleum knife presents more linoleum knife. So they're all very handily categorized for you if you want to find a certain thing. Um, and yeah, it reaches way back. We've been doing this for a while now. So yeah. you you know, and once you join, you have access to the whole back catalog. So tons and hours and hours and hours of, of listening, enjoyment of our nonsense. So anyway, patreon.com slash linoleum knife. If you aren't a member, we hope you become one. If you are a member, maybe you want to upgrade to things to get things like the club meeting or nights or whatever. So check it out. See if it's for you. We yeah, hope love, you do. I just love this idea that you can, no matter, no matter if you start being a Patreon person today, yeah, you can just get everything. You can, you can go years back in the archive in a, fairly easy way now yeah so thank thank you patreon for <laughs> streamlining the process for making this happen <laughs> uh okay letters dr steve ah friend of the show yes friend in real life dr steve he says i really enjoyed the holdovers mm. and particularly dave enjoy randolph's performance but as an african-american moviegoer I have African-American friends asking where her performance sits on the scale of zero to magical Negro. Mm. I think they were trying to be funny, but I actually had to think about it. Her character... Do we need to explain the magical Negro trope? It is what happens in films with almost entirely white casts and one black character who steps in to provide wisdom, solace, comfort, guidance... You name it. Uh, Will Smith in The Legend of Bagger Vance. Yes. And For many, instance. Too many to name. Yes. Too many films to name, but this is a trope that goes back forever. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, he says her character is world-weary and wise. 
giving grateful white folks just the right advice at just the right time, but I would hate to, to diminish Randolph's performance. She truly makes this supporting part its own fully rounded character, and I hope she receives all the awards attention she is due. So anyway, that's where my brain is two days after seeing a movie that really stuck with me, and I'm just shouting it into the void, i.e. linoleum knife letters. <laughs> I, I admit, I'm not an expert here. My my take would be that it, it doesn't quite fall into that category because she has more going on in the film than just being a repository of uh, uh, good advice or uh, assistance. So for do we think it straddles the two, you know, I, I the, mean, two, the two worlds? I think that the character is complicated enough to not just be that, but I mean, she is the principal black character in a mostly white populated film yes. and does provide some, you know, useful knowledge to other characters. So yeah. I suppose it's inevitable. I don't know. Dr. Steve is right. After after she That's gets... I'll just say that. I'm going to say this. After she gets her Oscar nomination, because I think among the few sure things for Tuesday is that Dave Enjoy Randolph will be in uh, that final five, uh, I'm sure this topic's going to come up a lot. Oh, yeah. Andrew says, Dave, over the years, you have championed Frederick Wiseman documentaries. If you wanted to introduce a friend, podcast listener or random cinephile into the Wiseman world, what would be the very first film of his that you would recommend? Oh, I know, I've got one, but... Well, you know, um, well, name, say what it is. The Store. The Store. <laughs> the Store is really an easy way in. We've talked about The Store so many times because it's in Alonzo's uh, first book, Have Yourself a Movie Little Christmas, because it takes place in a big Neiman Marcus department store in Dallas, Texas in 1982. Yes. Uh, at Christmas time. Yes. Um, here are the others. That I, I, I would... I'll, I'll say what it's got going for it is that it is set somewhere that is relatable for most people in terms of yes. their day-to-day -day experience and that it's, it's in an apartment store yeah. and it runs under two hours. Yes. High school is also a great place to start mm -hmm. uh, because it is, wow, it is such a time capsule of the late 1960s. Um, I love... Uh, Belfast, Maine. I love In Jackson Heights. I love uh, Ex Libris yep. about the New York Public Library. City Hall. I love City Hall. Um, oh, Crazy Horse. Crazy Horse is really fun. That's a good place to start. It's set in the legendary French burlesque club. Yep. Uh, National Gallery is great because, you know, I've... I've I live for behind the scenes at a museum. <laughs> uh, and then the most recent one, uh, uh, Menu Plaisir. Menu Plaisir, yeah. Uh, but it's, but that's that's a four-hour commitment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so for a starter. A lot know. of his films are extremely long. They can run three, four, five, even six hours. Uh, but the first two, the store, high school, they're short. Yeah. And they give you a, a nice... Taste. Normal running time taste of what he does. You know, and then like move to something like Monrovia, Indiana, which is also... Wait for Monrovia, Indiana, because it's such a bummer. Well, you're Monrovia, right. Monrovia, Indiana you're right. is a real serious bummer. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. Monrovia, Indiana, public housing. Those are maybe the more advanced uh, uh, Wiseman's. But uh, yeah, uh, I do start on these and, and, and tell friends and... 
see where it goes. You can see just about all of his movies on Canopy, by the way. Yeah, you can. Robert Kirby does good job, Mr. Snacks. <laughs> I want that nickname to stick. Thank you. That's uh... <laughs> definitely make sure to take Cake Man to high tea. <laughs> I personally feel the little sandwiches would be the high of the tea, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I'll tell you, by the way, speaking of Robert Kirby, he has a great Patreon where he does these, uh, uh, he draws diary entries and does little, you know, mini cartoons of him and his husband going to restaurants a lot. And they always they all sound incredibly yummy the way that he captures them. Yeah. In addition to, you know, walking the dog and riding his bike and, you know, yeah. being on his computer and stuff. And I've been a fan of his cartoons for years. So it's cool to see his, like, just day-to-day life as he sketches it out. I agree with you. Gary. Not friend, not friend the, the neighbor, neighbor Gary Connie. Gary Connie. Mm-hmm. Gary with two R's. Yes. I want to make a hopefully brief defense of the Pope's exorcist. (laughs) While Dave was in support of the film, I mean, ish, Alonzo seemed rather dismissive, which might put some people off. I I didn't see it. Alonzo's wrong. I did not see the Pope's exorcist. I have no dog in this hunt. Russell Crowe gives a capital C character performance. (laughs) He sure does. As Father Amorth. And if you are a Russell Crowe going big fan, then you are sold. He serves at the pleasure of the Pope and has no time for your bureaucratic papal nonsense. (laughs) Beyond Russell Crowe's performance, this is a movie that feels like a Dan Brown novel (laughs) by way of a low-budget knockoff exorcist script that is someone's passion project. I think... I think Rudy Ray Moore with a budget. It's the kind of movie where Father Amorth could be pinned down by demons and the Pope could show up with two gold guns to save him. (laughs) This film is not boring. It blames the Inquisition on demons that infiltrated the Catholic Church. Lastly, it sets up a whole world where Father Amorth could go on solving possession mysteries, but in a way that does not feel cloying or like it's aiming to be a franchise. Frankly, I hope to see more. If I don't, I am fully satisfied with what I've got. I heard they're making another one. I wouldn't be surprised. I, that's what, I thought I heard that. Uh, I said nothing about this movie because I didn't see this movie, but I'm glad you enjoyed it, Gary. <laughs> Brian. Oh, no, that's not for us. That's not for reading out loud. That's a... <laughs> That's a, uh, that's a pitch. Okay, that's it. Three letters, we're done. Alrighty. Well, listen, thanks everybody for listening. Do check out my other podcasts, please. Uh, I'm at Breakfast All Day on YouTube and on the podcast uh, uh, platforms with Christy Lemire. Yeah. Uh, Maximum Film on the Maximum Fun Network. I pop in weekly on the Deck the Hallmark podcast. And uh, I do have a book coming out in May called Hollywood Pride. It's available for pre-order. I'm going to try not to bang the drum too much too early, but yeah. believe me, when it's coming out, bang you'll be it. hearing about it. Um, you can, uh, uh, you know, Subscribe to this show at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review there. We will read it on the air. You can also leave five positive... Five stars and only five stars. That's I right. I don't have time for your four-star nonsense. Indeed not. You can also leave positive feedback in the many places that we stream, including Spotify, iHeartRadio, um, YouTube Music, uh, 
Amazon Music and uh, all the other places. Uh, thank you, Blue, for our wonderful theme music. He is at bleu.bandcamp.com. Go see what he's up to. It's always something. Um, you can follow us at LinoleumCast on all the socials, including uh, Instagram and Blue Sky and Facebook. And we are uh, linoleumpodcast at gmail.com for any questions or comments. Uh, thanks for tuning in. We will be back soon with more. Until then, goodbye. <laughs>